0: Hello and welcome to Cabaret Darlings, it's the first episode of 2020 and we are sponsored today by Millie Dollar Beauty, yes that's my name on there, as I practice what I preach by retailing my own line of biodegradable cosmetic glitters and a range of cruelty free lashes that are loved by the balesque community. You can get a whole 10% off your next order by using the promo code, all in capitals, Cabaret Darlings. Mm. Yeah, get sell some glitter. Twenty twenty, throw it around. Try and forget that the world is uh, shit fire right now. <laughs>
1: Biogradable glitter is the future.
0: Yes, it is, and <laughs> we'll try and leave everything else in the past. <laughs> now, now that January has finally finished.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: and what an eventful month that was! Really, <laughs> like a lot happened.
1: Yeah, well, lot as I was happened. just saying to you, because my birthday's on the 29th, that yeah. always is like New Year's for me, because New yeah. Year's is always kind of uneventful, it just kind of do, comes and goes. You do it like
0: literally, I have aged a year, new year, new me, because I'm now. <laughs> yeah, I
1: take those those first three weeks of January is to decompress, Yeah, and then yeah, I go, okay, 32,
0: I don't feel like I've decompressed much this January because every few days I'm like, oh, are we going to war now? (laughs) Well, that guy died. Yeah, there's a virus. (laughs) Oh, shit. We're leaving Europe. Yeah,
1: that's. uh...
0: Currently, this is the last day. (laughs) This is the last day. This is the last day. By the time this podcast goes out, we will just be a lonely island floating (laughs) Floating with no sense of direction. Yeah, someone will be listening to
1: this on a. Gramophone. Yes. Floating on a door.
0: I hope you're happy. Um, so, my guest today is Tom Lloyd. Hello. hello.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. Pleasure. So- We've known each other for a couple of years now, I think. Yeah, I
1: think we have just saying since 2014,
0: six years ago that was. Oh God, I can't believe that was six years already. Yeah, mental. Absolutely flying by. Yeah, mental. A lot has happened in those six years. You've had quite an eventful six years.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been been amazing. It's been amazing. I mean, obviously, I came back up north from living Mm -hmm. in London and just fell back in love with the North.
0: Yeah. You know. The the niceties of the North. So I um came and saw you in a production back in twenty sixteen, I think it was.
1: Wait, is that a parade?
0: Yes it was. Yeah at the oh Hope my God. mill Theatre. Yeah, absolutely. So this um was the first ever in house musical production by Hope Mill Theatre.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was a co-production between uh, Hope Mill, Aria Entertainment, and James Baker Productions. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Hope Mill was was just starting out. It was this. Uh, it was a, it used to be a mill, a rundown mill. Yeah. And uh, a couple from London, um, ex-actors, uh, who fell in love and were in passion to open up a space, mm-hmm. and they got. In um Casey Lipson producer and James Baker, producer director, and collectively they created um their first in-house production, which was yeah. Parade, which I was lucky enough to audition for and get the lead. And yeah. it was it was kind of I'd taken a bit of a break when we first met from musical theatre, which was my background.
0: Yeah, we met when we were both taking breaks. We both <laughs> took yeah, we
1: both took theatrical breaks. And yeah. then so this kind of marked a bit of a return, and it was One of those really special, Mm -hmm. special jobs. Um, I mean, long story short, it was just a very cathartic piece. Yeah. Um, uh, James Baker, the director, uh, ended up becoming my partner. We've been together now for four four years this June. Right. Um, And it just really, it just fast-tracked me right back into where I wanted to be creatively. Um, So yeah, holistically, Mm -hmm. it was a really wonderful, wonderful thing to happen. And I was very grateful, very grateful that I was in that room at that time. And in that time of my life where I was in a space where I was kind of, um, no fucks given. I'd come back up north because of a family bereavement and I wasn't really in a great place. That's why I didn't want to be on the stage and be Mm -hmm. exposed and started working, you know, retail in Liverpool. And then I saw this after two years of that and two years of just acting classes to keep me stimulated. Yeah. But kind of safe and indoors and away from the industry and then kind of go, no, I'm ready now. I'm ready to itchy feet, you know, get crazy. Yeah, you, so like,
0: want to get back on the boards. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so for it to be so creatively received mm-hmm. and such a wonderfully collaborative process... Yeah. It gave me so much back. So, yeah, I was very, very, very grateful.
0: Yeah. Because it was a, it was quite a difficult story to tell. I'm going to give a little bit of context yeah, for absolutely. Um, people listening. So you played Leo Frank. Yeah. Um, which is who was a, a real person, so this is based on a true story, of the American factory superintendent who was wrongfully convicted and executed for the murder of a 13-year-old girl in Georgia back in 1915. Yeah. So it was quite a story because it's got a really powerful ending to it as well, and there was a lot of different um kind of... To separate things that happened around his story
1: yeah i mean it's it's kind of although it's kind of about the leo frank case it's mm-hmm. the bigger the the bigger commentary on um uh social differences yeah. and uh prejudice
0: yeah a lot of it was believed to be down to anti-semitism
1: yeah massively i mean it obviously what was so thrilling about it... I mean, obviously, I'm a big musical theatre kid, mm-hmm. but it's very rare you get a musical theatre that is deals with something so um, dark and yes. integral and yeah. um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's there, out there. It's... Um, it's political and it, it knows what it wants to say, but it, it's still in, it's still impassioned by the musical theatre drama. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gives you what you want. And I love, I love pieces that push the musical theatre drama. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to see people buy into a story and never question why they're singing. It just works. Mm-hmm. It just feels right. But yeah, Leo Frank um, was a, a Jewish guy from Brooklyn who married a woman from Georgia. Yeah, So he moved back to Georgia with her and was a an absolute immigrant outsider. Yeah. And it's called Parade because the day is Confederates, mm-hmm. uh, Confederate Day. And um, we he is in the wrong place at the wrong time and framed in his work environment for the murder and rape of a, a uh, minor. Yeah. And so the story follows the court case and his trial, but the the kind of heart of the piece is the relationship with his wife who mm-hmm. never gives up his a cause and never lets yeah. up, and it and it starts this kind of plea for his innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't go well, but oh, no,
0: it did not. But
1: Sorry. the what <laughs> I walked away from it, especially the place I was in, was kind of there's this beautiful moment that they have before before it all kind of goes wrong at the end but because they have that moment because when we meet them they're kind of not on the same page mm-hmm. they're kind of passing through each other and he's kind of taking everything for granted and it's that old saying that you have to go through trauma and a bit of shit to realize oh god everything i want is actually right in front of me it's all yeah. i need and there's this beautiful song called wasted time and for Mm -hmm. when i walked away from the piece although the political message is so strong i just walked away with don't waste a fucking second yeah you know call that person have that date you know Mm -hmm. go for that dream job because when it's over it's over yeah know what i mean and sometimes you don't get to say when it's over which is the really scary thing
0: a a tragic end to
1: to can we say the end um, well, we get. Well, if you Google it, you can. <laughs> yeah, if
0: you Google it, <laughs> he, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, he was. So he he was actually he was found guilty, and then um, yeah. they kind of appealed, and it so changed,
0: they reduced his sentence to life imprisonment. life
1: imprisonment. And mm-hmm. the people that, this went on for such a long time, and the people of Georgia were so convinced that a local couldn't have done this, yeah, and uh, they there was um, a sweep attendant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Black guy who was um, a suspect as well, but because he kind of played, within the context of the musical anyway, they kind of, they take the history and do their own thing with it. So there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. tales. There's a lot of people in Georgia that still think Leo Frank was, you know, um, guilty. So we can only deal with what the writer's chosen to do. Mm -hmm. And he kind of was manipulated into lying in court. Right. But it's, the, the attitude was so... Um, racist and so dumbed down, they couldn't believe that a black man could co- would, could lie and come up with this kind of story and lies, which yeah. is just, you know, ridiculous and uh, in its own incitement. But um, they were so angry at the reduced sentence that they broke into the prison and they lynched him. And yeah. he's the only white Jewish male have ever been lynched mm-hmm. and um I I think oh, it was like only 40 50 years ago um they appealed it and they it was
0: 1986
1: it. It oh my god yeah, so less 1986 less
0: he was pardoned yeah
1: he was pardoned
0: but he was not absolved of the crime
1: there you go so he was pardoned because of the lynching yeah because that was obviously illegal but um mm-hmm. And inhumane. Yes. But um, yeah, really, really sad, and it was horrible to do every night. It was kind yeah. of, it yeah. felt right because we were we were staying true to what happened. But it's
0: it's still a hard story oh, to do. Oh yeah, her.
1: just getting the rope around your neck, and obviously mm-hmm. you feel so safe with the actors you're with. But because it's got, almost got like a cosplay element to it, you're reenacting yeah. something that happened, and. We were, just, I was just standing on a box. It was, it was, there was no trick involved. It was just kind of, um, it was like, you went to see the box mm-hmm. kicked from under me, you know, it cuts out. Yeah. But the speech he gives at the end, he basically knows what's going to happen. He's saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. And it was taking off the, I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm uh, gay as the day is long and I've got no plans to get married, but taking the wedding ring off yeah. and saying, give it to my wife. Oh, it was just the idea of that as a as a last act. Yeah, um, yeah, never failed to. Mm. You just it, it's, it's.
0: Was it quite difficult to sort of draw out a lot of emotion?
1: No, because it's or because when you you accept the the confines of the situation, mm-hmm. which is all, what's happening around you, and the words are enough.
0: They're just enough that you
1: actually haven't got to dig deep. I don't have to. Because the thing is, when it comes to acting, I think trying to be something you're not never works. You've only got your toolkit, Mm -hmm. which is my experience, my sense of humour, my personality. But I know, you know, no, I'm never going (laughs) to be a straight, white, married Jewish guy in 1915 in Georgia. But Mm -hmm. I know what injustice feels like for me I know what um aggression is I know Mm -hmm. what um uh my version of love is and so it's it's those qualities that you only have to think about the people that you've wasted time with or you don't want to waste time with yeah and that's enough I think that's enough and when people look into your eyes and can see it's coming from a true place I think anything else you don't need anything else Mm -hmm. I think that's enough but it was. I got to the end of the show and at the end of the the, the run, and I was ready to not be killed every night. Yeah. Some nights yeah. I was like, "Can he just live and walk yeah. off into the sunset?" <laughs> we with just give this, this happy wife. ending. Yeah. Just this once. But it was a great ending because you, the audience, are so with you and so kind yeah. of changed by it, and that's all you want—any reaction yeah. to be in the theatre.
0: Because I love when the, you came back from inter, like the interval. Um, for the parade. Yeah. And um, when I went to see it, you were kind of sat on a step, but you were right next to my seat. Yeah. So I walked past you very quietly and went, hi
1: Tom. Oh my God, I actually remember <laughs> that. I remember that.
0: <laughs> because we had, it's, it was such a,
1: James Baker made it such an immersive piece. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're bringing back to you. I'm in a prison cell and I'm writing letters as the people yeah. are coming in. <laughs> and
0: I'm like, you are
1: right. How are you doing, brother? Yeah, it was funny. You hear some random things like, oh, do you think he did it? I'm not sure, you know. I think it was the young kid. No, that so funny. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, beautiful, beautiful um, yeah. time.
0: Well, you, you returned to the Hope Mill Theatre. Was it like last year? Yeah. Um, for a very <laughs> different kind of production. Yeah. Um, where you, instead of playing the condemned, you played the condemner. I love as, that. Yeah. As that's you nice. played the devil in Jerry Springer the musical Jerry Springer the opera
1: yeah Yeah, the opera so yeah Yeah. uh, it was it was the first ever revival for those that Mm -hmm. know it it was it started in Edinburgh and then it went to the National Theatre 15 years ago and then it went to the West End and Mm -hmm. it had a TV
2: debut which
1: blew up and uh, so Richard Thomas and Stuart Lee wrote this Mm -hmm. phenomenal opera that takes Jerry Springer which is seen as (laughs) trash TV, and they put it in the opera house and this fusion of cultures and um, class. And uh, it kind of, act one kind of gives you what you expect. It's an opera version of Jerry Mm. Springer. And then in act two, he is condemned to hell and must do a Jerry Springer show with Satan and God (laughs) and Jesus and Adam and Eve to bring harmony to the world. And can he do it? And it's a big social commentary. And it was it was a huge hit and we, it was, so this time it was Northern Ricochet, which mm-hmm. was a combination of Bill Elms, yeah. uh, who produced with James Baker, who directed, and Tom Chester, who was our musical director on Parade. Mm-hmm. They got together as a new company yeah. and Hope Mill, um, again, was a beautiful space to have our venue in. And yeah, so we revived Jerry Spring of the Opera, which was, again, just a fucking ride and a half It was, it is a great show it was a phenomenal cast the talent was unreal the voices were unreal yeah and again we kind of we made it we updated it because so many elements of the show and the 90s brand the yeah. tv brand yeah. are so dated now mm. you know and and in this age so many of the demographics of the people that are on the show um were kind of sneered and laughed at and you didn't really think twice at that kind of thing. We're actually now, you know, yesterday's freak is today's hero. Yeah. Someone that stands on a stage and says, yeah, this is who I am, you know, mm-hmm. and I own my kink and I own my quirks and my insecurities. And that's yeah. that's a really zen, attractive thing, you know, to see someone at, comfortable in their own skin, whatever the rapping, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of flipped it on its head because actually the... The freak is the show. Yeah. And the audience, you know, that wants to wants to see it. Cause obviously the way it's structured in the show, you have an onstage stage audience
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you have an audience. Oh yeah, so, so they've got
0: the on-stage audience are staring back at a real, the
1: audience. real audience. So it yeah. fuses. So when you've got an audience jeering, you know, and shouting fat bitch, fag to beautiful melodies. Mm-hmm. Um It makes you think (laughs) as an audience member.
0: Beautiful (laughs) melody.
1: It makes you think as an audience member, do I agree? Do I not? Just that's it. it It's so intestinoids, and I'm all about making an audience work. Mm -hmm. We're spoon-fed a lot, and it's nice. When an audience feels like they're working for something, it feels like what you're watching is asking you to care because they care about what you think. And so it was nice to know that the show still is powerful. Mm -hmm. And the, I mean... For those that know it, it's a very—it's got a very spiritual message. You know, yeah. the end is—is is this idea that everything that lives is holy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, adored it, absolutely yeah. adored it. Would love to do and it again.
0: Did you have much uh, backlash for around the show? Because I know I went to see Jerry Spring in the Opera when it was in Liverpool the empire yeah and there were religious groups yeah outside absolutely. giving out pamphlets and protesting so well it was it was
1: definitely a conversation that existed in the rehearsal room mm-hmm. um because we talked a lot about it socially and yeah. a lot um, because it was kind of you know he he kind of claims he's the godfather of you know, reality TV. And, you know, since Jerry Springer, it's it's um, child's play compared to what we have on TV now before the watershed, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Jerry Springer, it's tomorrow's breakfast, you mm. know. And so we thought about it and we were prepared for it, but yeah. there was nothing. There was nothing like that. Oh. There was no protest. There was no... Um, there was certain reviewers that didn't weren't a fan of the piece okay and i feel like if you if it's like if you sit down and you think it's just one thing it's Mm -hmm. just crash it's just salacious it's like a lot of people take this stance with things like um south park you know and if you if you if you go in with that attitude you're never going to get over that hill to see what it's trying to say yes. to see the social message to see the mirror reflection about uh human society whereas because i think the the moral compass that it's been written with as well as being incredibly witty and incredibly um uh uh what's the word i'm looking for um layered within its writing it's too easy to say it's crass to say it's salacious yeah you know if it's not your thing fine but it's um it deserves more it deserves more than that it's too easy to say that yeah but I mean we did really well you know it was you know the Guardian gave us um four stars and and they actually noted us as their top picks in their theatrical year and but again I mean I'm Reviews are reviews. It's lovely to be validated, but if you stand by what you're doing, whatever you're doing, yeah, even if it's not just national reviews, whoever your your critics or judges are deemed to be, if you really believe in what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And a great review can hinder you as much as a bad one, to be honest, yeah. because you think you have to uphold something or you get in your head about how it's being appeared. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in... If you're in your head, it's death to the performer because you just want to be oh, in your body yeah. and live it. So it's best not to. I don't. I always say I don't read reviews, and then I read them. But I <laughs> would,
0: have you been googling? Yourself? I <laughs> always would say
1: to anyone, don't don't read them. Just yeah. do your thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So try not to live by other people's words.
1: But in a way, not. yeah.
0: So you're now working as a cabaret jazz vocalist as well, under the pseudonym of Nature Boy.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm interested by the pseudonym.
1: Yeah, so I've always loved, as you know, cabaret. I've always loved that world. I've always loved the theatricality to it. But I mean, when you make a musical, you are a small cog in Mm -hmm. a big piece. And when the team are amazing and it all sings together, it really is wonderful. But there is something that I've always thought to be said. When you go see an artist on the stage on their own with their own creative ideas, I think the bravery of it is huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think
1: the payoffs are bigger. What you get back, mm-hmm. um, and most of the things I've ever seen, uh, you know, in Edinburgh, you know, acts like. Betty Grumble, Camilo Sullivan, they've had such a dramatic effect on me where I go, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. And I've always loved to sing and I've always loved storytelling through song in a cabaret environment. There are certain songs that can only live in that environment um, where it's an intimate space. And it's just between the artist and the song and the audience. So Nature Boy came from the song the Nat King Cole song, uh, which kind of made famous in Moulin Rouge. But the story behind the song is fascinating. It was um, written by a guy who had um, ostracised himself from Westernized society. This was in, I'd say,
0: mm,
1: someone will correct me, maybe the (laughs) mid-60s. Right on
0: in with your corrections. Yeah, right on in. (laughs)
1: Um, I forget his name, but... He lived completely off-grid. Right. And he okay. lived in a cave in West Hollywood. Uh, right. Just off the Hollywood sign, he lived in a cave. And... I
0: just like the idea of, like, right behind the Hollywood sign, it's a this cave. little cave, Someone this comes guy. comes out just dressed in a bathroom with a cup of tea, like, yes.
1: <laughs> and he was, he was... He looked like this archetypal Jesus character with the long mm. hair and the beard, very sexy 70s boho look. And he wrote the song. He wrote yeah. the song Nature Boy. And in a weird fusion of events he just knew he wanted nat king cole to sing it who was at the time was doing loads for black rights and a really prolific person Mm -hmm. um who was making history as as an artist and i think if i'm not mistaken he gave the song to nat king cole's driver because really, he, right. he lived in a cave. He couldn't get through to producers and agents and executives. <laughs> so he gave to the driver and Nat King Cole recorded the song and it was this huge hit. Yeah. And there was a bit of, there was a bit of I think, because of the success of the song, suddenly this guy had a lot of uh, media attention on him, which he didn't yeah. want. He just wanted the song to be successful. And I, again, I think he, he wasn't Lynch lately or Frank, but I think he received a sticky end as well. But I was fascinated when you hear the lyrics of the song... Um of this vagabond boy mm-hmm. who has all the wisdom of a king, but is this you know this penniless kind of character wandering this city who yeah uh, who and and the message at the end of the song, you know anyone knows from the Moulin Rouge film, the greatest thing is just love be loved and return the the wisdom of it, and it's just got this beautiful, simple melody that it's just always stayed with me, so that became not only the the name of the the act but kind of the signature song as well, yeah. Um, and it just, cause I always was just like, I like my name and all that, but it was kind of a separate thing from that's kind of musical theater actor, Tom yeah. Lloyd. And also no one knows why, who gives a shit. So I thought I would rather, <laughs> um, I would much rather, yeah, just, um, I just liked it. Just liked how it sounded. So it, it grew from there and Nature Boy is a, it's a fusion of things. It's, um, it's essentially a jazz act where I, I rearrange Everything from obscure jazz to new jazz and also kind of the the Scott Bradley Postman jukebox ethos of either taking a new song and making it sound old or taking an old song and make it sound different. Not necessarily new, but you can put a kind of 60s or 70s swank on it. And it can range from kind of jazz acoustic to keys or a little trio thing. It's
0: more that kind of swinging 60s rap pack It's got it, it's kind of, it's a bit, it's
1: a bit more fusion than that. I kind of describe it as a kind of new romantic Gatsby kind of vibe. Okay. Yeah, we we play around with stuff. And then there's also, within regards to the cabaret world, it's exploring songs that you wouldn't necessarily do for a jazz night. You do, Mm -hmm. that you can explore through uh through interpretive dance no through yeah. <laughs> through different multimedia through it being a bit more like um storytelling like there's a song i do called quiet love and it's about a person who is uh, falling in love with um someone who is uh uh a, a, a deaf and a mute so um yeah. it it it's this person who's learning sign language so yes. they can communicate with the person they fall in love with. And it's it's just, who thinks about writing a song about yeah. that? Who sits down and thinks, I'm going to write a song about that? And there's no other environment for those beautiful songs to live except Cabaret. Yeah. Except on a stool with a mic and a glitter lip and just to, <laughs> you know, to to engage. Um, yeah. And it, for me, I adore those songs and I go, well, I can't wait till i'm in a show or i get the chance to explore that side of me you know so it's it's kind of grown from there
0: and taking your audience on a a journey or just various yeah yeah or just
1: just for a moment just for a second just to absorb into a different um yeah uh uncharted Mm -hmm. uh curate a world yeah yeah for sure so this this is something i'm kind of exploring now i mean theater will always be a big part of my life in my background but um to be to be a kind of new cabaret artist on the scene is what really excites me at the moment. yeah
0: cabaret is a very very exciting world yeah you know, as we frequently go over on this podcast <laughs> because like we'll go into the history of it all as well yeah but, which i
1: love yeah which i love i've
0: got some history for you
1: well, this is what I love, as I was saying to you before we started, it's like, without things like this, mm-hmm. these stories just, it's just in the wind, you know, it yeah. just gets lost to obscurity, and um, the foundation of the industry is on the bravery of these stories and these people, yeah, who people didn't have... The
0: people that made what we now
1: yeah. you
0: know, work in and profit on and Absolutely. You know, thrive in.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, pioneers.
0: Yeah, so we should always give props to... To all those, kids.
1: thank you, cabaret darlings. Yes,
0: thank you, all of those cabaret darlings out there. Um, but you will be treating us to a song later on today. Well, not later on today, later on, yeah, in the podcast. We will, it's which actually... is a very, it's the first actually for this podcast. We haven't had oh, any nice. musical numbers so far, yeah.
1: It's a bit, it's a bit different. It's actually, um, it's actually a quirk one it's not a jazz song it's Mm -hmm. we just did a little acoustic take on it and we loved it so it's um he lives in you which is actually from the stage version of the lion king Mm -hmm. um but we just did a little acoustic slant and it's just yeah yeah, gorgeous songs we thought we'd play that for you today
0: Nice. so we'll get you to um introduce that after our story so that we can have a nice little story time my and then pleasure. Finish for the beautiful musical. Yeah, why not? Intro. So, are you ready to strap on in?
1: I am. And so um
0: ready. Have a little story. It's, it's not a, a, a too long ago story. Sometimes we go right back in the past. Okay. Sometimes it's a little bit more modern day. So, so we're kind of going all over the place. But because we mentioned the Rat Pack earlier, yeah, we did. Is of that sort of era. Nice. Okay, so. Today's subject isn't one particular person, which is what all the episodes have been so far. Okay. I've been concentrating on one person. But this is more a place and a series of persons in that place.
1: Oh, nice. Changing um, the formula just yeah, for me. Yeah, special. <laughs> uh,
0: but this is a place that had an impact on burlesque history, but also comedy, film and more. Love it. So there's, it's multifaceted. There's stories within the story. So layers, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, how absolutely, same, how much yeah. Love layers, yeah. We've got layers. For I'm you. fascinated. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start right back, 1950s. Okay, so with
1: there
0: yeah, we're taking mine back. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine the place, LA, LA, 1950s. 1950. So through the 1950s. Harry Schiller worked as a door-to-door salesman. I know, it sounds a weird place to start. Uh, saving away until he was able to open a haberdashery. Okay? so this Good like, for Harry. Yeah, he's worked his way up. But Why not? <laughs> this was a strange pit stop on the way to opening a strip-tease club. Okay? So he started off door to door salesman, owned a haberdashery, and then decided to open a strip club. Yeah. As you do. in mean, a natural do. progression. Uh, when you're you're on the beat, knocking on various doors, and you're just going, I can't wait until I own my own <laughs> house of striptease. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's the dream. Table sales to titty bars. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure yeah. Um... I mean, I
0: wonder what he was selling before he uh, you wouldn't know. his way up. Who knows? I mean, we can only uh, surmise various <laughs> different things. I
1: like the idea that it was kind of... You know, Housewife Essentials. Yeah. You know, female domestics. Yeah. You know, in the 50s, it was you know, all around. about the latest...
0: It's like opening up. And the who, just, but it's also a... It's just a briefcase full of nipple tassels and juice rings. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but in 1961, he announced to his wife, Alice Schiller, that he planned to open a burlesque house. She responded by promptly bursting into tears. Oh. So she was like, not... Not a huge fan. She
1: wasn't chuffed.
0: She wasn't made up, I don't think. I mean it would be a surprise if your husband was like instead of selling missing supplies want again. <laughs> hey look a love is love stage, you support
1: know? your partner's dream.
0: Yeah, support <laughs> ah well. <laughs> so after the initial shock wore off, Alice declared that she would work alongside him to make the club a success, but also a classy club where men would take their wives.
1: Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Woman's touch. A
0: woman's touch. Always so, the
1: more evolved species, I've always yeah.
0: said that. so Harry had the idea, and Alice made it what it is.
1: Yeah, like yeah, yeah.
0: What, we're, what we've been really talking about. Because Harry had that, the idea, but Alice made it what it was. Well,
1: For yeah, sure. because I'd imagine um, she was probably one of the first women
0: mm-hmm.
1: to ever be in that kind of position and environment, and women think of things that men do not. For but- example, having female customers.
0: Well, in the uh, 1960s, there were a couple of um, burlesque performers who had gone on to open their own venues. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. But it was strange for Alice to to do this because she was not involved mm. in burlesque at all. Like, it was a, an entirely new world for her. But she was switched on. She knew what she was doing. And uh, she got the club, painted it bright pink, and pink called pink. it the Pink Pussycat. Love it. Yeah, that's a good name. Love it. <laughs> (laughs) beautiful name. Alice took the reins over many aspects of the club starting with the dancers. She she was on it on every single element. To be sure they had the classiest dancers they could the club by night turned into a college by day. The Pink Pussycat College of Striptease.
1: So (laughs) in the day, as in like they went to learn their trade? Yes. Wow. So
0: basically anyone could come learn they would cherry pick from the people that came to the course um, like, you're going to stay in the club, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. So they created the careers rather than... Well,
1: yeah, and it's all in-house.
0: Yeah. So basically, at that time period most Balest dancers would work on a touring circuit around mm. America so they'd go around again and again. It's kind of a circular tour. But they didn't have guests in that sort of sense they created their own so very different for that yeah yeah period. yeah but yeah. just
1: really entrepreneurial mm. in that sense you yeah know?
0: she she seemed very uh on the ball in many aspects of things like I she, love that. she really created um a whole new scene and a completely different thing to how everyone else was running burlesque and, and this was in la clubs so this was in beverly hills in la so still there but it's not the pink pussy Club.
1: Oh, what a shame! I know. What is it now, McDonald's?
0: No, it's still a club. <laughs> it's still a club, but it's not pink anymore. And so, what's the so point? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, so who it's cares? It's like, not gonna go. It's not pink. What
1: is it now? Pink pink cheese, pink I don't want to know. Yeah, I, think I don't it's like know.
0: cream. Um, so to join the school, you had to meet a certain criteria, right? So you had to be over twenty-one,
1: mm.
0: have a high moral character.
1: Okay, I'm doing well.
0: Be actually interested in the art of the striptease. Okay. Are you? Are you still there? Are yeah. You, no. Yeah. Interested? I'm all good. And possess a voluptuous body.
1: You know, with the you know, <laughs> <with> a, <laughs> I'm five foot six.
0: But voluptuous, not. Yeah, sure. It's not height. It's yeah. Well, I'm surprised there's not. I I was waiting
1: for the height regulations. That's why I thought it was going to get me. Yeah, sure. No, I could. I could have walked in. Yeah, Yeah, sure.
0: You could walk in. You can get in there. Um, you also had to have a hundred dollars to pay the tuition fee.
1: Forget it. I'm out. (laughs) I'm I'm out. out.
0: Well, that is equal. Um, we had a look for the inflation. The equivalent. The equivalent today is about $850.
2: Whoa.
0: But most of the uh, performers who went there and learned and then took on to the stage earned about $100 a week.
1: Wow. So they
0: made their money back and fast. So it's a worthwhile investment oh yeah
1: definitely
0: i'd do it i would (laughs) so the classes had quite an array of subjects i really wish i could find the lesson plans for these i I want to know what what the content was i have a list for you of all of the um subjects things that they went into oh my god lay lay it it on me lay it on me history and theory of the striptease love it so good to know your history yeah, this entire podcast is talking about history, so we're right there. We're on it.
1: Yeah, like, absolutely. We like
0: that. Psychology of inhibitions. Mm. Now, this I want to know.
1: See, that's fascinating it because is... it's it's it sounds like it was a it. Well, I can only assume it was a class all about um you know maybe your individual uh, things that may block you being able to strip maybe present yourself, whether they be physical, uh, or it could be the, ambitions or um, mental,
0: social, inhibitions. yeah, of course, yeah, you know, because of that sort of, like when you work in a, a striptease club, or a strip club, you have to be able to talk to a lot of people, and be really sociable, yeah, yeah, I'm a god, hard. I'm like, I'm shit at that, I'm like, I'm usually the one muttering, like, thank you. Anytime anyone's like, "ah, oh, you were great on stage. And I'm like, I am shy. <laughs>
1: that's true with loads Very of artists, shy. though. You know, they, they, they explode on stage and then they go back to being the quietest person in yes. the room. You know, it's kind yeah. of, it's that duality how of we it.
0: A, we express ourselves through dance. <laughs> yeah, through
1: dance. <laughs> through, um,
0: through the medium of dancing.
1: But I love the kind of holistic well-being attitude towards yeah. it. You know, that's, she was ahead of her time, massively. Yeah.
0: Hugely. Uh, this one I like. Controlling the structural components of anatomy. Wow. Yeah.
1: Would that be kind of like... Like the care of your body? Like the...
0: I think it was more... This is how to move this part.
1: This is how to move this This is how body. to move
0: that part. Blah, blah, blah.
1: This is how we shimmy.
0: this is why I really want to know the, the lesson plans for yeah, yeah, these. Yeah, because yeah. some of them sound fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely fascinating. Um... We follow that up with applied sensual communications. Interesting. So I don't know if this is... Because we can only... Uh, we
1: can only assume if anyone out there was an attendant were, if you <laughs> to Alice's classes to go... <laughs> at the Pink Pussy Cat in L.A. in 1950, please get in touch.
0: <laughs> yeah, anyone from 1961 onwards <laughs> who you knows... Know,
1: did you have a class did in sexy try... talk? Please let us know.
0: All right now this one I do know. Elementary bumps and grinds. Wow. That I can do. That you can do. That I can do. That I'm. I'm that you do there do. There with that, I get that. <laughs> but I love that uh, just the titles of these classes are enough Wonderful. to get me like, wow. So the methodology of teasing, tantalizing, and titillating.
1: Great words. Yeah. Tantalizing, teasing, titillating. All the teas. The three T's. All the teas. <laughs> All the teas. All of
0: the teas. Uh, the fundamentals of taking it off. Oh. So I'm assuming this will be the actual removal of items.
1: Yeah, sure. After all that work.
0: <laughs> yeah. After everything you've been doing, now you're like, okay, so I've got the movement. I've yeah, got the psychology down. <laughs> taking my bra a off now. No big deal. Psychology course, apparently now. Um, dynamic. You're going to love this one. Dynamic, mammary, <sighs> navel, and pelvic rotation and oscillation.
1: Wow. That's better That's than Pilates, isn't class. it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, take
0: this back into the fitness class. That would be a Ooh, much more interesting fitness
1: class. I love this.
0: Uh, and then an experimental workshop. So, practising what you're what yeah, learning. Yeah, practising their rep.
1: This is all in the day and then they do the show.
0: <laughs> well, they finished off with advanced studies and a seminar in new trends and techniques of the striptease. It's fab. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. these were 10 different sessions. That would take a uh, place and these were overlooked by the acting professor and dean sally ma
1: another woman though as well another woman which is great
0: now sally ma she was a striptease artist a comedian and a talent spotter
1: okay
0: he started out in burlesque as a dancer after divorcing her husband which sad but you know she, she not... found her place Maybe she he found deserved a place. it uh yeah. He's British apparently. You know we we're, we're the worst, really, aren't we? But they asked it. <laughs> we don't know what we've got until it's gone. Hey, mm-hmm. bye Europe. Um so <laughs> uh, <laughs> got to get a little bit of politics in here. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think the last episode of this podcast uh, was released just after the last election results. Okay. So, we've always got a little bit of politics in there and apparently I'm terrible at Predicting what's going to happen because I welcomed our new prime minister and we don't have one. So,
1: (laughs) and the next podcast will be living in a cave.
0: Yeah, yeah, living in a cave and writing songs, which we will give to various drivers. Eating Swiss cheese. Ariana Grande. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah. So back to our Sally Mar, uh, because she was working out in um, you know working in burlesque and trying to find her feet. And going through a divorce. It meant that her young son, Lenny, was sent away to be brought up by relatives. She was trying to forge a career that meant she would be able to care for them both independently. So she would had to have a little bit of time. Like, sorry, kid. Sally found work as a waitress and maid. She was financially able to support them both. She started to work as a single mother and care for her son. Okay? Mm-hmm. So... Sally became well-known for her nightclub act as an impressionist, developing a stand-up act which heavily influenced her son, who's back with an now, as we went into, uh, who grew up to become a comedian also, Lenny Bruce.
1: Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amazing. I thought, I thought you were going to say like, Lenny Bruce. <laughs> well, I always think that Lenny Bruce grew up in around... Around. Cabaret yeah. and striptease, mm-hmm. um, much like Bob Fosse, yeah.
0: who directed Ooh. the Lenny
1: Bruce film. given it
0: away now. <laughs> yeah, there were
1: many, there were many uh, parallels between them, there and I is. think Bob Fosse grew up in the like the real slums of yes. cabaret, you yeah. know, and I think he lost his virginity to a a burlesque artist I
0: think many did many did (laughs) many do many still do we're busy we're busy Um, big Lenny Bruce fan yeah oh great well we're gonna go into a little bit of Lenny Bruce now so Bruce began his career talking about his early life with his mother working impressions of her into his stage acts as well as impressions of other celebrities of the era so he started out as an impressionist as well yeah so he took after his mother
1: yeah massively
0: Uh, So Lenny Bruce is seen as a huge driving force in the change of comedy, a social satirist who is frequently in trouble with the law due to obscenity charges, including being arrested in Chicago for using the word cocksucker on stage.
1: Yeah, multiple times, I believe. Multiple
0: times. Well, in the uh, Bob uh, Fosse movie about Lenny Bruce... It's so, it shows him being arrested for saying cocksucker. Yeah, and and as he's in the back of the cop car, and I think this is just fabrication for the movie. He said, "What's the problem? I said it. I didn't do it."
1: Yeah, which you want, I
0: loved. I, I don't. I'd imagine <laughs> he probably
1: did say that. I mean, it's an amazing. It's an amazing film. Yeah, and uh, Dustin Hoffman plays it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was. He was a, again another pioneer. Yeah. who was ahead of his time. Who was making an audience work
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know to think about not just what he was saying it the yeah. way he was saying it why he was saying it
0: and the things that he had to well,
1: say well yeah and also and the hypocrisy on why he couldn't say it yeah he challenged freedom of speech
0: he really did i mean uh, the jury did acquit him on the charge of mm. you know using the word cocktail on stage i mean who hasn't this led to his acts being frequently monitored by yeah. various law enforcement agencies yeah so yeah he uh, throughout Lenny's career, he appeared on network television less times than he was arrested. He only appeared on national TV six times throughout his entire career.
1: Yeah, I don't think... I think. Well, I think he he lived and breathed in, in the live Nightclub acts, but mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was brave enough to probably put yeah. him on TV because he was so beautifully spontaneous.
0: Yeah, he they couldn't control it. And what he said and what he him. wouldn't
1: do. Yeah. And, he, you know, yeah. You know,
0: there is some out there, like some only a few of his stand-ups that were aired but most of the time they're just it's hard to find TV yeah shopping. yeah yeah
1: yeah it's hard to find um footage of that stuff mm-hmm. but um lucky for those that got to see him
0: yeah oh for sure in the early 60s for a comedian to openly be talking about drug use segregation as a bad thing yeah which he said and um, on the one uh, one of the few stand-ups you can find of him um from a tv show He said, "goes through a list of things he hates, Mm. and on what in that list he says segregation." Yeah, Um, but he was quite like politically.
1: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! A lot of what
0: he was saying was like, you know, we need to look at these things are fucked up.
1: Yeah, and it's you still get it today when you get um, artists who are known for. Comedy or singing or something, mm-hmm. and they're politically driven, and not so much over here. We're, we're much more supportive to give that stuff platforms, but I find in the States it's kind of oh, just shut up and do your act, just shut up and yeah. sing, just shut up yeah. and tell jokes. They don't want to, uh, for them, it represents a bit of escapism, and suddenly it's saying, No, we're, we're giving it right back at you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
0: Because yeah, it's just, like the subjects he covered at the time, like talking about religion um at you know oh. starting that conversation in yeah, the yeah, 60s yeah. in America
1: yeah and in, a, in an environment where you should be free to do so but it, you know mm-hmm. the government got scared because i think people were listening
0: yes yeah they don't want people to rise up well really? yeah you know? so instead of um, being you know frequently on tv like he should have been he did release his stand up on record which That's influenced right. a lot of comedians since, Yeah. including Richard Pryor, yeah. who stated that hearing Lenny Bruce for the first time changed his life.
1: Yeah, you can hear the the Richard Pryor's, the George Carlins.
0: Yeah, you, you can, can totally you can see, see the, the, um, the Bill Hicks. Yeah,
1: you can so see the it, DNA
0: comedy today wouldn't exist how it does in the terms of social commentary and oh, yeah, challenging definitely. people to really think about subjects. Without Lenny Bruce,
1: yeah, and yeah, yeah, for sure. Sally Ma, and without Sally Ma, Sally Ma,
0: she's the one who made Lenny's it good. mom. Uh, so my favorite quote of Lenny Bruce's is: "Take away the right to say fuck, and you take away the right to say fuck the government."
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, <laughs> which is, hey, that's a quote that applies to today, <laughs> Strange. Well, yeah, enough, it could have been, been written strange, today. Strange, like, it's been 70 years since the 60s and Lenny Bruce saying these things, but...
1: Yeah, yes, we're slowly catching we? on.
0: Well, are we? <laughs> slowly, very slowly, extremely slowly. Uh, so, as you mentioned before, Dustin Hoffman played The Tragic Life of Lenny. Yeah. Um, chronicling his life and marriage to balest dancer another balest dancer Hot Honey Harlow uh, it was directed by of course Bob Fosse and it received six Academy Award nominations amazing and won none yeah so what I won think, that
1: year do you know
0: I don't know in 1974
1: it was I, came check. Out. I mean it's a funny thing um, I mean again a bit like the reviews I mean, award ceremonies are bought and paid for yeah but they um, are, but yeah.
0: it was kind of uh, a strange contrast to his actual life. Like it was, yeah. He still was unable to well, really this is, make that change and have it. Yeah, and seen this is the, as a positive. Uh, this
1: is the hypocrisy of it as well. the The film is about someone who really, in a way, was never given the. The industry were too late to catch on to Lenny Bruce's success. Yeah. The people did. And the people mm-hmm. always are quicker than the industry to know yeah. what's hot and what's not.
0: And it's um, like a lot... I don't know if you know uh, much about... Because sadly he did pass away at yeah. a young age. Um, the obituaries. No. And one of the obituaries stated that he overdosed on police presence.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think it's true. I think, I think they killed the soul and the heart out of what Mm -hmm. he was trying to do because it got to the point where they micromanaged everything he said and it sounds like towards
0: the end like his uh, tour in australia his one of the last few shows he ever did in a 2000 seat venue only 200 people it's so sad and most of them were police yeah it's so so sad they just drove him into oh yeah massively
1: I think anyone that feels and artists feel this all the time, whether Mm -hmm. it be a producer or director or whether it be TV and film, there's, there's more freedom in theater for sure. A lot of people naturally dispense belief in theater. Mm -hmm. You know, a a lot of musical theater is still seen as light entertainment in this country. So you can get away with what you can say sometimes and Mm -hmm. people go, you know, people rock up thinking they're going to see something. But when you, that's only to a degree when you start, he was saying the same stuff as political activists at the time Mm -hmm. and he was a comedian yeah and it shaked people up and today we we do live in a pch gone mad Mm -hmm. where if you take away the right to talk about the things that divide us it, it it stops the possibility of uniting us because we need to be united in being able to talk about all of it. You know, people don't have debates anymore, they have arguments on TV. It's such yeah. you know, it's such polarized views. And the world is grey. And
0: it well, we're kind of encouraged as a society to spend a lot of time debating.
1: Yeah. Oh my so god, absolutely. Free, like
0: Facebook, yeah, uh, Twitter, all of these and things. And I'm are all used for to...
1: debate. But yeah. what's it's what's now stopped is this it, it they don't feel like debates anymore it just feels like this talking over one another and this yeah. this yeah. I feel this and you feel that and it, there's no as I say it's black and white and there's yeah. no gray and I think it, Lenny Bruce got to a point I can only assume where whatever he said was going to be misinterpreted mm-hmm. and thrown against him yeah. and yeah it got to a point where I think they sucked the life and soul they, out of yeah. him they out of an artist whose, mentally snapped. whose gift was to mm-hmm. talk, to get it out there, yeah,
0: you
1: know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, RIP, laddie.
0: Yeah, it must have been very strange to, you know, be on stage trying to make social commentary and talk about various subjects and then looking out and seeing just a bunch of policemen waiting, ready to arrest him as soon as he got off stage.
1: A comic's job is to essentially whether it's done with heart or cynicism mm-hmm. or rip the piss of the things that we all know and understand or the things we don't understand that we can suddenly be liberated and educated about through yeah. comedy mm-hmm. and I think any uh, comic um because it's it's brave standing up there for five minutes and trying to make people laugh is one of the hardest oh, yeah. things I think you could do in this life and being brave enough to not only do that but put yourself on the line mm-hmm. with what you feel political politically yeah. um is phenomenal and i think i think any comic that feels like they've got their hands tied well they go i just don't want to do it anymore it's not yeah. the same yeah and i think comics today you're struggling with what they can talk about what they can't
0: talk about mm. for sure yeah sally would actually have her son frequently playing at the pink pussycat
1: yeah so Brilliant. you know
0: if you were able to go back in time to the 1960s Popped a little pink.
1: You would have seen seventeen-year-old Lenny Bruce. To see
0: Lenny Bruce perform, and um, she was extremely proud of everything that he achieved, and said that he took after her.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah, so she was a very supportive mother. Yeah, she it. was a
1: legend, man. Yeah,
0: she totally was. So, but while she wasn't, you know, bringing up the legendary Lenny Bruce. <laughs> She was whipping the college applicants into shape. So getting back to the college now, so learning the art of the striptease, and but in a way that was different to the burlesque clubs, which were at that sort of time period waning in popularity after World War Two. She reportedly told the students, "Not too much bump and not too much grind. That's passe." And went out with Minsky. Yeah so she cause
1: well, it's a famous at this phrase, age
0: that. she was uh, when she was teaching the students she was in her 50s yeah so she's kind of seen a lot done a lot
1: well yeah and <laughs> then post-war seven. the I would changed I imagine she was like
0: uh, you know don't take any shit kind of a woman
1: yeah oh yeah definitely matriarchal yeah. probably yeah. Scorpio
0: <laughs> probably a Scorpio We'll have to look that up. Um, so... <laughs>
1: Someone find out Lenny Bruce's mother's star sign. Please.
0: <laughs> please send it in. Send it in. So, after Sally was done with the students, she would give them back over to Alice. Alice would take the new graduates under her wing and would give them stage names, which were all puns. Love so it. Not only was she head of everyone else, starting a striptease college, doing all these things, even though she hadn't been involved in burlesque. She was a fan of the pun. So, love a pun. I love a good pun. So these were puns of famous characters of the day. So there was Fran Sinatra, Dina Martin, and Samia Davis Jr.
1: Samia. Samia. <laughs> People still do this. I just did a, a show with uh, Clive Rowe in London, and he names, mm-hmm. he's a big fan of kind of uh, TV and theater stars of the 60s. Yeah. Morecambe and Wise, British era. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's no compliment to me for anyone that knows who it is, but he he nicknamed me Terry, based on Terry Thomas. Now, you only have to Google Terry Thomas to know what he looks. <laughs> oh. He's got this lascivious tash and this big, like, grin... I don't like Terry Thomas, but I actually. <laughs> and when he first so said like, it, I, I was like. I appreciate
0: being given a nickname, but can I, I have. actually another?
1: ended up falling in love with it because there was something so endearing about it, yeah. and little Tessa, and it actually does. It did. <laughs> it made me feel part of a kind of family. It was yeah. a weird thing. There was something very full of heart about it.
0: Yeah, well, I think it sounds like these guys were like quite a family. Well, I love taking
1: men's names and and. Yeah feminising them
0: well the thing is is that Dina. the tongue in cheek names succeeded in bringing the real Rat Pack to the club love it so they wanted to inspect their namesakes
1: of course they did
0: of course um, the, but because the Rat Pack started to free find the club uh, the Hollywood elite started to become regular at the strip joint so not only did she succeed in making it a classy place but she made it one of the Hollywood hotspots yeah 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 so in 1964, Bob Hope spoke at the opening of the Music Centre in downtown LA, stating that LA needs culture, and the pink pussycat can't do it alone.
1: Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> that's amazing. The Out uh, there is
0: There is one of the applications for the burlesque school um, that was signed by Bob Hope.
1: Well, that's cool.
0: So, yeah, he, it sounds like he was there. A fair
1: bit. I think Bob was probably that. checking out the uh, inhibitions classes, if you oh, ask yeah.
0: me. A little bit of a fan of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the old, the last caliber. Just going to
1: pop into the bump and grind, you know, <laughs> uh, go it fans class at 2pm. See how PM. the school's going. <laughs> see in 45 minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm just really into education. <laughs> uh, so in a 1967 interview, Alice Schiller claimed that I myself am an authority on beauty and glamour. I've probably glamorised a thousand pussycat. She went on to brag that 20 of my pussycats married millionaires. One of my girls got a $2,700 tip one night. She disappeared and we never saw her again.
1: I was always a cat person. Don't <laughs> fuck with cats. There were some extreme pussycats.
0: They were. I mean, yeah, they... You know, they, I they wouldn't must be seen again like, how
1: much was that? $2,000?
0: $2, $2,700 tip and that was in 1960s so, yeah, so you know you know, equate that to today's money That's going to be a lot but I love that there is a rumour that she disappeared to get a nose job
1: oh I love that
0: and then was just like bye thanks for everything Um I love they that. don't know and
1: actually. no one knows who that is yes. Kylie Minogue Kylie, <laughs> Kylie Minogue
0: I <laughs> <laughs> don't know, Kylie. Please do not sue us, Kylie Minogue. We love you. <laughs> we love you. So yeah. don't worry for all the wannabe strippers who weren't Hollywood locals. You could mail order a stripper kit right to your door for $4.95 plus postage.
1: Wow, what was in that?
0: So the striptease kit consisted of an instruction booklet, a pair of pasties, which Alice referred to as bosom bonnets,
1: Boz and bonnets. Yeah. Love that There's little manual little so you don't put it on That's backwards.
0: Cute. Um, A garter, a G-string and a rhinestone for your navel. So I imagine, you you re- you know, you remember the TV show I Dream of Janini? Yeah, yeah. Did she have like a rhinestone? Yeah, but she had a little
1: like rhinestone thing. I think
0: she did, but in the beginning of I Dream of Janini, she couldn't show her belly button at all. Oh, really? Like part of the... um. The law, yeah, the time for nudity.
1: We couldn't handle belly buttons.
0: Belly button is too far. Yeah, you know any kind of hole. (laughs) Any kind of hole that isn't a facial hole. Now we've got now we've got naked
1: attraction where you choose a date with genitals before you've seen someone's eyes, but you couldn't handle a belly button. You could
0: see an asshole on TV nowadays, but back then. No belly button. Oh,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. You see an anus on TV before nine o'clock. Do you know oh, yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But a belly button is just too much In for the... this morning.
0: This morning. Sensitive a <laughs> temperament of
1: 1950s folk.
0: So, you could also order for an extra $5 a Tease shirt. They like their puns. They really like their puns. Uh, which had the seal of the college on it, which read, The Naval Academy of the West.
1: Oh. So
0: I've managed to find a company that have bought this design back to life
1: get out of town and
0: I have and I have one on the way
1: get out and of town I not wait amazing so I'm
0: gonna have like obviously a reproduction but
1: yeah but a wing to it is the design nice? It is,
0: strip teams. it is it's got like a little pussy cat rubbing up against the leg I love then it around that it's got that naval colleges uh, the that west. is so, very cool yeah and it says pink pussycat across it the does. top pussycat awesome. and underneath hollywood so branding yeah they were they were on it one of the college's alumni includes joan collins wow so she came to get a lesson or two before she played the exotic dancer melanie in the film seven thieves she received training from the legendary candy bar wow i don't know if you know candy bar she was uh, like a blonde bump and grinder. There's quite a lot of uh, the videos names familiar, there. yeah. Uh, she was just wild, kind yeah. Of so it was a really nice routine. That it's well, it's it's a very strange TV set thing, yeah. Where it's a man who's being um, tempted by the devil to watch candy bar stripping on TV. <laughs> so, nice, yeah. So the devil's in the <laughs> bit of tease and a very sweaty man. That's lovely. <laughs> sure. So the, the club was a huge success and the pink pussycat became a way of life for Harry and Alice Schiller. As they bought I love this. They bought a pink Cadillac and a pink Rolls-Royce which were covered in a slogan to entice other drivers that said follow us to the pink pussycat.
1: Love it. Uh, yeah. They were smart, smart cookies. They
0: really were. You know, I mean,
1: even they were out getting their groceries, you could still read yeah. the car, and it would be a business card for the club.
0: Exactly. You yeah. know,
1: really, really uh, entrepreneurial.
0: And it looked it like knows. it was a really nice nineteen thirties Cadillac uh, Rolls Royce, which they painted pink. Amazing. And it had all of the the um, the look of the you know the logo of the cat rubbing against the leg.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of the Pink Lady of Hollywood? Yes, Who's basically this... there's a
0: few though, isn't there? There's like the Pink Lady of Hollywood.
1: Is there the one? And, um... I, she's on a Netflix show which, which explores um like quirky, mm-hmm. quirky living.
0: Is she places. the one? She had a billboard.
1: I don't know. She's like I think she's kind of in her forties. Everything's pink mm-hmm. in her house. Yes. everything's pink. She's pink, and she's yeah. just she she's kind of known as one of these you know bohemian artistic people that make Hollywood. You know.
0: Hollywood weird. Hollywood weird. Is, was, Hollywood
1: weird royalty. Yeah. But yeah, it reminds me of her. She's I'm pretty that sure
0: time. that she had a, a weird billboard for a while that was off when everyone Maybe was she, like, I don't think she does it. I, I, and I think uh, she
1: may have gone on... Um, I think she may have been on American got, got Talent or something. Just wearing pink. She wears pink. That's the ad. <laughs> that was her talent. Yeah. Hi. I wear pink.
0: I'm in pink.
1: Yeah. Pink uh,
0: everything. Please put me through. <laughs> uh, Alice's hard work did pay off, so... You know she wasn't too sure at the beginning it worked out
1: she uh, made it work well
0: she became a prominent figure in la and was made an official hostess of ll, L, LL. <laughs> made, L-L-L-O- hello uh, being made an official hostess of la by the mayor amazing so, her hard work was seen and witnessed by the mayor and he was like you are an official hostess amazing of
1: When is Cate Blanchett playing her in the film of her life? They need to
0: have a movie. Especially because there will be so many characters in there as well. It'd be amazing. Yeah, it needs to be. But as the swing 60s came to an end, so too did the Pink Pussycat Nightclub and school. Kind of sad. But its heritage lived on in the careers that it created. Uh, But Alice was always ahead of the times, turning the striptease club into a discotheque called Peanut.
1: okay Okay. so she was moving to the time playing to the more rock and roll kids and
0: it was in 1970s so just at the start of disco yeah 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 yeah. uh, peanuts was also revolutionary for its day as alice welcomed the lgbt crew into the club so at that time period in the 1970s it was a quite unusual act um because riots and raids were still quite commonplace
1: Yeah, and safe houses were seen as in, you know, discos, drag ballrooms and all these kind of places. Mm -hmm. So amazing that she opened up her doors to neon platforms and, you know, disco crew. I love that. I love that.
0: she, uh, Alice Schiller retired in the 1980s, so she kept the club going for like 20 odd years, and the club was sold by the Schiller family in 2009, the same year that Alice passed away at the age...
1: Ninety five. Wow. Ninety
0: five
1: is We all age. no, and we could all be so lived, lucky. You
0: know, Ninety five
1: is lived. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I love that she kind of I think it probably got to a point where she was the club. She yeah. was the club. She was so attached was. to it, I think. When that was done, she has like, I'm done. You yeah. know? World's changed. Signing out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah,
0: she definitely left left a mark.
1: Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Know, so it's lovely to be talking about it today.
0: <laughs> culture. So Alice may have never taken to the stage herself, uh, nor was a fan of the less to begin with, I'm going to guess by the tears. Uh, but her bright ideas turned what was originally a struggling jazz club into one of the hot spots of 1960s LA and a school that provided a signed, sealed, and beribboned diploma. To many, setting the world alight with the neon signs, pun names up on the marquee and a titty pink club <laughs> adorned with pussycats and filled with enough history, celebrity and inspiration for those who, like me, run their own schools.
1: Like, like you? Like, yeah, like absolutely. Like I do. I run my own school yeah.
0: too. Um, sadly, we don't have diplomas, but maybe I need to...
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I... I... I loved that story. I absolutely loved that story. And like, it goes back to what I was saying about artists, or non-artists, just being brave enough to yeah. put it out there and mm-hmm. have a go and try and take something that it could be something, it could be nothing, it could be yeah. everything, that's yeah. what I always say. Yeah, was, and what took, a stamp on history.
0: Yeah, I mean, they took like this little club that they didn't know what to do with, turned it into something that you know
1: a it business
0: a big thing in hollywood it start launched careers taught who knows how many women how to become performers and striptease and um, but also helped the careers of comedians like Lenny. oh Bruce. yeah
1: and was a real real hot spot yeah because it yeah. gave someone like lenny bruce's mother it also becomes your bread and butter yeah you know
0: yeah, because they don't know. I wonder how that connection happened between them and Sally Ma.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't Sally
0: Ma being being an integral part to yeah the club as well by you know, the getting the people ready to go on the stage and making it classy and turning it into Yeah, 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 what it was.
1: absolutely.
0: Because um, Sally Ma, she, after this, worked as a talent spotter, um, which is quite strange because the main talent that she spotted um, that is recognisable today was Cheech and Chong.
1: Wow! <laughs> oh right? my god, I love... <laughs> I grew up on Cheech and Chong movies. Really? That
0: is hilarious.
1: So there are
0: uh, a couple of interviews with Sally Ma um, from like 1989 yeah. and she is a character. I, yeah, I, I bet. Just, I, I wish 70, I could some. hang out with this woman. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was amazing and like, you know, she was very supportive of her son and yeah. like sadly she outlived... Her son. yeah um, But there are interviews with her um talking about like uh someone tried to to make a, a some kind of concert, an event that was gonna raise some money for her because she was just never really bothered yeah. about you know savings and she was like kind of one of those people that everything's gonna work out. Mm. Like everything is gonna work out That's in the end. Awful. And she talked about it in this interview where this guy said we're gonna raise a hundred thousand dollars for you. She didn't believe him, so she was like, "Yeah, whatever, it's bullshit." And then he said, "What? What can I do to, you know, make you believe me?" And she said, "Send me five thousand dollars now, and I'll believe you're you're right." And he said, "Okay, well, how should I send this money to you?" She said, "In about half an hour, with a messenger boy." <laughs> <laughs> And she just seems like she was really, like, yeah, you know.
1: And did he do it?
0: I, I, I guess so. He must yeah, have done. It. But because uh, Lenny Bruce inspired so many... We're going to wait for that siren to go. There we go. <laughs> We're talking about Lenny Bru- Bruce and the police game. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, shit, you can't even say it. Trigger word. <laughs> so because Lenny Bruce inspired so many comedians, he also inspired Joan Rivers
1: yeah yeah hugely
0: hugely um joan was also quite inspired by sally marr yeah so she co-wrote and starred as sally marr in a stage production of sally marr and her escorts
1: oh really yeah so there's
0: a lot of very well-known names mixed up in this like one little club yeah, There's one little venue. I'm telling you, there, bright, is a, pink,
1: there is a there is a pink posse cat movie on the way. More and more people are digging be. up these these wonderful trinkets of history, yeah. you know. And that's you know that's a that's a big chunk of uh, Hollywood there as well.
0: It really is. So you've got all of the the stars at the time, but all also the un- the underground stars. Like, the people that weren't appreciated. Well, the people
1: like Alice and, um, you know, Harry and, you know, these people that it wouldn't have been there without, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that it went from being this striptease college and club to somewhere that opened its doors to a community that at that time wasn't really hugely welcome in yeah, a lot Yeah, and it sounds like
1: it gave them a sense of community like yeah. an in-house feel like mm-hmm. you know a family quality because yeah. they're on the same boat a lot of them mothers a lot of them single mm-hmm. parents a lot of them you know struggling and a lot of them very 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 talented
0: yes you know yeah, a lot of talent in that little
1: that little pussy titty
0: pink Club. <laughs> Titty
1: pink. What kind of pink is it?
0: Titty pink. Titty pink. <laughs> I mean, yeah, branding yeah. for sure. So um we're gonna go now into your track Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. So we're
0: gonna finish today's episode.
1: Thank you so much for having it. me. Thank you. Millie for on. i absolutely adored. Uh, coming in and uh, thanks for chatting with me and yeah this is this is me and uh, Francis Johnson my uh, accompanist my kind of jazz partner doing uh, He Lives In You so I hope you enjoy it and thank you and I hope you enjoy it
0: thank you let's tune in now Night and the
2: spirit of life Answer I mama love, and a voice with the fear of a child calling. Mountain to great Hear these words and have faith oh, 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 oh. have faith Hail in Hey Hail in Hey hail in too great He
0: Jake likes to invade the podcast space. So that was the first episode of Cabaret Darlings for 2020.
1: How exciting!
0: Super exciting to have you on. Thank you and, very much. Uh, we will be going down to a fortnightly podcasts just because I'm so damn busy. So <laughs> I'm so damn Life busy. gets in the way all the fucking time. So until two weeks from today, that was Cabaret darling